Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena, United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody. It's uh, great to be together with you today. We're uh, in our last week uh, on goodness like glitter. We've been talking for the last few weeks about what it looks like for us to scatter God's goodness like glitter in all the places that we live, work, and play. Um, And we're going to be wrapping that up uh, today. And we're going to begin our conversation today in the 15th and 16th century world of cartography. Now, I don't know if uh, all of you have brushed up on your history of cartography later, Um, but here we go. Uh, In the 15th and 16th century, there were some radical changes to the world of the map maker. Map makers in that time, and this is right around the time of like Christopher Columbus and Magellan and uh, folks were exploring uh, out into places that they'd never ventured before. Uh, And we see that reflected in the maps that get made. Um, And so map makers began to leave large swaths of area on the outside of their map, uh, uncolored in, undrawn in, right? They were just blank, blank. Up until that point, uh, if we didn't know what was out there, we either drew the, the boundary of that map tighter or we filled in blank spaces that we didn't know existed with legends, you know, that tells you what's on the map, uh, or uh, sea monsters, you know, wherever wherever we don't know what to go there. We just put a sea monster there. Um, but in, at that time, people, it was like they became really comfortable with the idea that they didn't know what was there. It was like, we don't know what's there, and that's actually okay. It's actually good. We, we want to go out and explore and figure out what's there. It wasn't something to be feared so much anymore. Um, all of us, when we learn, um, we, we tend to kind of go through the same sort of process. When uh, Before we've learned how to do something new, we exist generally in a state of unconscious incompetence. We don't know what we don't know. And, uh, and, and living in that reality can be kind of nice. Uh, we, we used to say, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss, uh, because when you don't know what you don't know, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to, to be concerned about it. But when we want to learn something new, when we got to press into a new thing, we're learning whether that's a, like a practical thing, like tying your shoes or whether it's a spiritual thing, um, we have to step out of an unconscious incompetence and we have to press into a new season of conscious incompetence, where all of a sudden we come face to face with the reality that we do not know how to do what it is that we're trying to do. And that's a very, very uncomfortable place to be. It's a place that produces a lot of great anxiety. And sometimes people, when they get into that spot, they opt out. They want to go back to the ignorance is bliss place uh, because it was just easier and pleasant and wonderful there. But if, if we're willing to sit in that discomfort long enough, and to trust the one who's teaching us the new thing, if we can press into that, uh, eventually we bear fruit on the other side of it. We become uh, people who can now do things competently. We have a conscious competence. 
We know how to do it. Maybe we don't do it well or perfectly at first, but at least we know how to do the thing that we're doing. And if we do the thing that we're doing long enough, then it becomes an unconscious competence, almost like it's second nature. We don't even know how we do it anymore. We just do it. It's easy breezy. Uh, and we, you know, we just kind of do it without thinking about it. Now, uh, again, that can be a practical thing. That can be a practical thing, but all of our lives are intended to be this kind of cooperant grace, this growth in grace. God wants us to continue to grow and to develop. Um, and uh, if if you've ever experienced this, um, maybe you know what I'm talking about, like in a personal sort of way. But sometimes I feel like God convicts our hearts through the power of God's Holy Spirit and presses us into a new thing that God is doing in the world around us, something that God is calling us to do, um, maybe a, a way in which God is reshaping or reforming our heart, our minds, our attitudes, our attitude towards God, our attitude towards others, our, our posture towards the people around us. And, and sometimes when that happens and we try it out, it just feels hard or heavy. It produces anxiety and discomfort. And so I think that sometimes uh, folks opt out. They go back to the old life, life before uh, God convicted their heart, because that life was fun and, you know, you know, having all sorts of wonderful things and nobody cared what you were doing. But when our hearts have truly become convicted by the love of God at work in our lives, uh, we want to respond to that by stepping into the fullness of the life that God has in store for us. And, and if we're willing in those moments to, to press into the discomfort of that season, great and beautiful spiritual fruit, spiritual breakthrough, life that is real life, the life that God intends for us exists on the other side of that season of discomfort. What I really started to to wonder lately is is if if there's not also a, a sort of a function in the lives of those and I'm thinking about myself here I'm I'm thinking about others not just myself who once like once you have kind of some spiritual breakthrough we become so comfortable in this unconscious competence like the the fruit of the work of God's love in our lives has changed and transformed us and so we just want to kind of stop there because that's beautiful and that's wonderful. We become very comfortable uh, with the way things are. We become very comfortable with the people that we know and intersect with and with the patterns of our life. And when confronted again by some sort of convicting spirit of God, we, we actually like don't want to keep on growing. We don't want to enter back into that time of conscious incompetence. It's too uncomfortable for us. And so we, we kind of want to hold back. We kind of want to hold back from there. Um, much of what Paul writes, it is scattered like a thread all throughout his letters, through the parables and the teachings of Jesus. We see over and over again in scripture uh, what it looks like for us to be called to continually grow, to continually step into those moments where we're out of our comfort zone, where we're in a place trusting that God in the midst of the new thing that God is doing is going to bring us through those discomforting times uh, so that we can see more spiritual fruits were born uh, in and through our lives. When we resist it, it's almost like we want to shrink our map again, or we want to fill in the edges of our life with uh, pictures of scary sea monsters that really just represent the anxiety that we have about the discomfort that we would feel if we had to go back to admitting that we don't know everything. Now, that can be an, an intensely individual experience. That can be a spiritual experience. I think it can also be a collective and a communal experience. And if I'm real honest, I think that collectively and communally, we're, we're in one of these seasons together right now in, in our place in history. Um, I do not understand today. Today operates in ways that I am very unfamiliar with. Um, I understand a world and a church 
that has existed for the better part of the last 100 years. Not only do I understand it um, and sort of am steeped in it, but I have been trained to be a participant in the world and a leader of the church uh, in a world, in a church that has existed for, like I said, the better part of the last 100 years. I don't know that I know how to be a participant in the world or a leader in the church uh, for the world in the way that it, in the way that it's becoming. It's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to think about that. But I, I, I just, everything's just moving so fast. Like I don't always know that I understand. My, what I know how to do is to take known solutions and apply them to known problems. And a leader is called to do that quickly and efficiently. The, the challenge that I'm seeing is that most of the known solutions that we've used, at least for the last few decades in the life of church or world, like those solutions are no longer solutions for the challenges that we're facing in the world and the church in which we currently today are living and moving and having our being. And sometimes I find myself just really kind of pressing back against that and being so frustrated. It's like, I want to shrink my map uh, or <laughs> I want to go back to a place. I'm just like, let's go back to the way it was. That would be so much easier. And I find myself just like screaming at the television or yelling into my iPhone at Siri, who maybe should magically have an answer for me or a solution to the problem uh, that we're facing. I want to go back to a time where I knew a solution to every problem that could arise. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily possible. And I'm not super confident that that's what God's calling me to do, or maybe us to do. Some people adapt to new things in new ways uh, more easily. Some people are much more comfortable sitting in that place uh, than I am, I think. Um, my son, who's seven, was telling me about a woman uh, that he saw on TikTok. And uh, I became very panicked by that. I said, well, how in the, how, what, how, why, where, how did you even get on TikTok? How do you even know what TikTok is? You have no phone and no device. I was like a little bit frustrated by it. And then he said, well, GoGo showed me. And then I became more confused and afraid. Why is my 72 year old mother on TikTok? Like all of that is just <laughs> anxiety producing for me. Uh, Hope loves it uh, because she's been trying to get me to do uh, some TikTok dancing for a while now. It's her life mission, I think. Uh, some people are much more comfortable, right? Navigating new spaces, TikTok or not, right? Uh, uh, all sorts of new ways in which our world is currently operating um, today. Um, I think I think when we're pressed or challenged, I might suggest convicted to step forward into a new thing that God is doing or to uh, to trust that God is doing a new thing as the world is changing and transforming in front of us. Um, there really are two responses that I think we can make. And, and I, I say that not to create a false binary where, where one need not exist, but just for the sake of argument for our time together. Uh, so hopefully you'll just give me some grace there. Uh, first, I think that we can choose anger and frustration and resistance to anything new that we don't understand because it creates too much uh, discomfort, too much anxiety. And we can kind of carve out our happy little silos of the way that things uh, used to be back in the day when we understood every problem that could go with every solution. Or, or we can sit in sort of an open-handed posture, confronted by the discomfort of the moment, and trust that A, God is perfectly well-suited to lead us into this next season, and that B, there's a real possibility that we will come to understand more of ourselves and more of who God is if we hang with God through the discomfort of that process. Um, I've been thinking about these choices and in particular, 
uh, about the story of a man named Noah. Um, you may know Noah from uh, the story of the ark, uh, where God sent a flood uh, into the entire world, uh, and Noah put uh, his whole family and two of every kind onto the ark. Uh, they went off, uh, went on the boat, twosies, twosies. They came off in threesies, threesies. How about those birds and beesies, beesies? Uh, if you grew up at church camp, maybe you know that song. Um, I suspect that many of us, even if we didn't grow up in church, are familiar uh, with the, the story of Noah. And at the end of it, God set in the cloud a rainbow, uh, promising us that God would never destroy the earth in that same sort of way again. And and as I've kind of grown into my adult self, uh, I've started reading that story and I've got so so many questions about it, and we could spend, obviously, several, several weeks talking about it. Um, but one of the things that I, I want to highlight, and I think in the conversation that we're having today, comes in like a really short aside uh, that I think I've read over a number of times before, but never really stopped to process it fully, because it feels like a, a transition sentence, right? So Noah uh, comes off the ark, um, builds an altar, praises God, they have some worship together, and then they begin the work of repopulating the earth. Uh, God has made the covenant promise through the rainbow with him. And, and then as it's transitioning to the next part of the story, it says, Noah, I'm in chapter 9, verses uh, 20. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. And, and again, at first glance, this is just getting us to the story that follows, which is about, um, well, it's about Noah drinking too much wine, if you want to know the truth of the matter. But um, it's, just a, it's just a transition sense. Oh, he was a farmer. He planted a vineyard. That's great. But here's the thing. Um, it takes, in the best of scenarios, three years before a new vine can grow a grape. And uh, if Noah's the first one to plant a vineyard, I suspect there was some trial and error early on. And it took time to cultivate the plant, to cultivate the soil that it was planted in. Three years. And, and this is this is what I'm thinking. If you'll just sit with me uh, for a second, kind of in this in this passage I mean, again, in the course of less than two months, right, forty days and forty nights, in the course of less than two months, Noah has just watched from the window of the ship the entirety of the known world destroyed in front of him. Underneath the turbulent waters and waves of the flood, he has watched. Uh, every building we've built, every wall we've erected, all the things that we put up in our world, castles and homes that are institutions that are intended to protect us against the chaos of the world, uh, to, to uh, lure us into a sense that we can provide and protect it for ourselves. He's just watched every single one of those things just absolutely obliterated, washed away, washed away. And the first thing he chooses to do is to plant something that A, takes a full three years to grow, and B, will hopefully outlive him. That is a lot of trust in the future, in a world that you've just seen erased in the course of two months. But it's like he trusts the promise of God in that moment to stick with him through this season. In a world that he no longer understood, he drew a map with no edges. And in a season where conscious incompetence was all there was in front of him, it was a statement of faith and got a statement of trust, a prophetic sign act saying that he believed that what he did would last despite all the evidence to the contrary that he's just witnessed. Uh, friends, the world around us is changing. It's changing at a different pace than I've ever seen before. Uh, I 
cannot understand it and I cannot keep up with it, right? That's that's where I think I am. I suspect that's where many of us are. Um, a lot of what we have known about the world has been erased uh, by the turbulent waters of changes in our politics, uh, changes in the natural world around us, changes in the, in the world order of things and how power gets shared um, around our globe. And I've been asking the question, like, what's, what is our faithful response in that moment? For Noah, it was to plant a vineyard. So what would it look like for me, for you, for us, in this season of unknowing, in this season of new thing, the season of discomfort, in this season of kind of collective anxiety? What does it look like for us to trust God enough to plant a vineyard? Now, I felt like uh, I was going to ask you that question today and then step off and let you answer it. But if, if I'm going to ask you to answer it, I felt like I needed to do the work to answer it myself. Um, so I spent some time doing that. I'm just going to share what my answer is. Not because they need to be your answers, please, for the love of everything holy. Uh, they don't need to be your answers, but these are mine. These are mine. And I offer them to you as you're thinking of, uh, thinking of your own. One, when my last breath sings the final stanza, of oh four a thousand tongues to sing, which I am going to sing with my last breath on the way out. Uh, I want to leave a church that offers the only true source of life to my grandkids and to theirs. A church that speaks to them and nurtures them in the same way the church has me, even if it's in a way that I do not fully understand. I want to leave a family and a community that gives them, my grandchildren and theirs, such uncommon belonging and unconditional love, not in theory, but in lived experience, so that no matter how far they may wander, they always know that they can come back home and find love that's real love. And finally, I want to pass on a commitment to serve and to care for others above self, so that when I am dead and gone, those who come after me have learned how to use their spiritual gifts to participate in God's good kingdom, like those who came before me have showed me how to do. And if this is going to be the legacy that I am choosing to leave, then this has got to be the legacy that I choose to live. Which means that despite the discomfort with all the things that I see in front of me, of us, as little of it as I understand, I have to trust that even in the midst of it, even in the middle of it, that God can and is always doing a new thing. And so I want to work to erase the edges of my map, to embrace my own incompetence with all of the humility that I can muster. And then I want to step off the boat build an altar to praise God and go plant a vineyard. And I would love some company in that. Blessings on you as you wrestle um, wrestle with this question yourself over the course of this week and hopefully with others that you know, love and trust and who know, love and trust you. Peace. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. 
Uh, and while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Verena area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join in with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Verena United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.